Let's pray. Father, we pray for the Holy Spirit. We ask you that Holy Spirit would come. Help us this morning. For we are needy people who need your help. And you promise, you promise to give us the Holy Spirit if we would just ask. So Lord, we we plead with you, send him to us, Lord, this morning. That he might illuminate the eyes of our hearts, give us understanding, Lord. That he would come and fill us, give us the power, your power, O oh Lord. Oh, Father, it is our prayer that your kingdom would indeed come. Come, Lord, your kingdom come. Oh, we thank you that you are a God who answers prayer. Fill us this morning, Lord. Fill me, for I need your help. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for hearing us, oh Lord. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with the name Aaron Ralston, but uh, Aaron Ralston is a guy that intrigues me. In 2003, Aaron Ralston, who is an avid, was an avid um, backpack um, guy, guy that liked to climb, he was adventure-seeking, uh, rode mountain bikes, uh, Aaron Ralston decided that he was going to go for a daily hike. <laughs> he was going to go for a daily hike. And um, he decided that he wasn't going to tell anybody. So he goes out into the mountains and on this hike, he was enjoying creation. And Aaron Ralston, um, while he was jumping over uh, a, a, a barrier, a crater in the, in the mountain that he was climbing, uh, slipped and fell. And as he slipped and fell, a rock wedged between his hand and his arm. And there Aaron Ralston was stuck. He was stuck for five days. Now, um, Aaron Ralston is still alive. He was able to get out of that situation. I'm not going to go into the details. You can go ahead and Google that. But there is a point I want to make regarding Aaron Ralston. You say, you know, we look at Aaron Ralston and we say, how could you be so silly, Aaron? Why would you go out for a, a, a camping trip? Why would you go for a hike and not tell anybody where you were going? You deserve to get your hands stuck in a rock. Well, friends, before we start judging, let's take a look at the plank that is in our own eye. You see, Aaron's problem was not that he didn't tell anybody where he was going. Aaron's problem is that he suffered from what we all suffer from. And that is self-sufficiency and self-reliance. 
It plagues us all. We think we are experts. We know what we're doing. Aaron Ralston was an expert. He knew what he was doing. And so he figured that he didn't need any help from anybody. He didn't need to tell anybody where he was going. We think we are the experts. We know what we're doing with life. We are the experts in life. We know what's best. And we find ourselves in predicaments that far are out of our control. And then it exposes our pride and it reminds us that we are far from self-sufficient and far from self-reliance. That we are in fact, that we are in fact dependent beings. We see this with Peter, don't we? When Peter informs Jesus that he is prepared to go to prison with him and even to die Beside Jesus, Peter, self-reliant, we know how that story ends up. Peter ends up denying Jesus three times. And apart from Jesus praying for him, Peter would have been left to destruction. But the Lord interceded for Peter and prayed for him. To deny deny that you are a dependent being is to, in in, in essence, say that you don't need God. I know you created me, God. I know you have created me, but I can, I can take it from here. I've got this. In essence, that is what you are saying. Well, Jesus in our text this morning reminds us, he reminds us that we are not self-sufficient. Last week, we saw Jesus teaching his disciples And he taught us last week how we are to pray. And so we continue with our text this morning where Jesus goes on to tell a parable in verses 5 through 13. He tells this parable to drive home his point and even more so to remind the disciples why he instructed them to pray. Now, Jesus uses parables in a number of different ways throughout the Gospels and throughout the Scriptures. Sometimes they are used to illustrate a point. And sometimes, contrary to the earthly story with a heavenly meaning definition that we hear often, they are used to hide things from unbelievers and to convey truth to believers. We see this in Mark chapter 4 where he says, they, the unbelievers, they see but, not, but do not perceive And they that would hear, but would not understand. So it is important that we see context when we come to a parable. In order to understand the reason for it. And to perhaps understand the meaning of that parable. The one before us is is not very involved. It's not an involved parable like some of the other ones that we might come across in the Gospels. There are only two characters in this parable. And Jesus does something unique in this story. He does something unique with this parable. He inserts his hearers into the parable. He inserts his hearers into the parable. Look at, look at what he says in, in, in verse 5. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him? He inserts the hearers and he inserts us this morning into this parable. They, they are now in the parable They are now part of the story. This story now becomes real to them. And perhaps, hopefully, they will understand and see the meaning even more clearly. 
And so Jesus tells the parable. He says this, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, this is a situation that we can all relate to, right? We can all relate to this. We, we know what it's like to be pestered by a friend. Friend has a need and they come to us and they ask us and they ask and they ask and they ask. So we all know what it is to be pestered by a friend or bothered by a friend who is in need. But Jesus in this parable does not say that you are the one being pestered. He doesn't say that you are the one that's being pestered. He's saying that you are the one that is in need. You are the one that is knocking on the door. You are the one that is asking and pleading and requesting. That is the position that we are least likely to place ourselves in. You know, perhaps this is why Jesus in the beginning tells them which person in the, in the story they are. Because as, as he were to, if he were to tell that story, perhaps we would have said, okay, well, we're the one being pestered. Because we don't like to see ourselves in need. We don't like to be in need. To be in a position of need shows weakness. Shows weakness. To be in need says that I don't know what I am doing. I'm not as smart or clever as I thought I was. I can't figure this out on my own. To be in a position of need is to rail against our human nature, our tendencies to say that I am self-sufficient. I am independent. But how often do we think the opposite? How often do we think the opposite? That that we are smart enough. That we are clever enough to figure it out. Too often we utter the words, I will just figure it out on my own. Too often. Jesus in this parable says that we are the ones knocking on the friend's door in the middle of the night. We are the ones that are in need. And at first, in the parable, the friend says, he hears the knock, he says, sorry, bro, I can't help you tonight. I can't, I can't help you. I'm going to have to wake up my whole family just to give you some bread. I can't help you. Sorry. And although Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't tell us in the parable what the man's response was, what, what the man's response was to this, initial, to this initial answer, but it is safe to assume that he did not just give up, that he did not just go home, but more than likely he continued asking and he continued pleading the friend for the piece of bread. And the reason, and the reason we can make this assumption is because the, the friend eventually obliges. He wakes up. He wakes up his whole family and he gives the man a piece, the piece, the bread, that, the three loaves of bread that he requested. It's not because 
Not because this man was his friend, but because of the man's persistence. Because of the man's impudence, he receives the bread. And Jesus ends the parable there. But he's not finished with the application. Jesus is not finished teaching. He goes on to teach a little bit further. And and in fact, he goes on to speak some amazing words. He says some amazing words, which I believe settles the question surrounding why we pray. These words are jaw-dropping. To to the person who realizes that they are a dependent being who is always in need, these words are amazing. In verse 9, he goes on to say, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened to you. Those are some amazing words when you realize and come to the understanding that you are in need and that you are not self-sufficient. But before we break down what Jesus means here, because we're going to break it down a little bit, I want to make sure that you realize the amazing claim that Jesus is making here. The amazing claim that he is making for Jesus to tell the disciples that they could ask, seek, and knock, and that they would receive, find, and that it would be open to them means he had to have authority to do so. Jesus had to have the authority to be able to answer those prayers. Jesus never said anything that would go against his father's will. And he, and he, never, was make, he never said something that he couldn't fulfill. He never made a promise that he could not fulfill. And that, that is why we pray. We pray because we know that God has the authority. He has the authority to meet our needs. When Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock, he can fulfill it. He can fulfill that need. Oh, this is wonderful. But... But if you are an unbeliever this morning, oh, this is good news. You've come to the right place this morning. You see, we all have a need that is, that is great. We've got, we've got sin. Our sin has to be dealt with. There is a need. We are in need of a savior. And here is Jesus promising. Those of you who are in need, those of you who have, who have seen that your sin is an offense to a holy God, you are in need of a savior. And Jesus is saying here, ask, ask, ask and seek, seek and knock and your prayers will be answered. Those who ask will receive. You will receive forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness from your sins. It will be received. Oh, oh, seek him. Seek after him and know him. Knock and it will be open to you. This morning, if you do not know Christ, 
Oh, this is a promise. This, these are words that should cause you to rejoice. These are words that should cause you to fall down on your knees and ask for God to forgive you of your sins. And he is able to do so. And not only able, but has the authority to do so. Oh, he, Jesus tells us to ask, to seek, and to knock. I think it's important to break these verses down a little bit also because um, they are often used to excuse prosperity teaching. They're used to excuse prosperity teaching, to name it and claim it, right? Whatever I ask, I am going to receive. But there are times in the Bible where people don't receive what they ask for. There are also times where Jesus says that some will knock and it will not be open to them. So Jesus tells his disciples to ask. Well, let's look at what it says about ask. And, and when he says ask, whenever you ask, it will be given to you. For everyone who asks receives. <laughs> and this is not the first time he says this. He says this in other places. He says this in Matthew 18 and 19. He says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my father in heaven. But he also says it in John 11 and 22. He says, but even now I know that whatever, whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. Our heavenly father wants us to ask him. He wants us to ask him. We show our dependence on him. We show our need for him when we ask him. He wants to provide for our needs. Doesn't James tell us in chapter 2, verse 4, you do not have because you do not ask? Jesus wants us to ask him. (laughs) Oh, but before we, before you start to think that What we ask doesn't matter. And how we ask is unimportant. Think again. Let's go back to the scriptures. Matthew 21, 22 says, And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. There's a condition there. Ask and you will receive if you have faith. John 14, 13 says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the father may be glorified in the son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. In my name. John 15, 16 says, you do not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide So that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give it to you. (laughs) To rightly ask in Jesus name is to, is to pray in accordance with his will. There are conditions there and what, and remember our context, remember our context, right? And we have just heard Jesus explain to disciples how they are to pray. And this this statement is made in that same train of thought to ask the things which Jesus tells us to ask for, right? Give us this day our daily bread. 
Forgive us our sins. Your kingdom come. Lead us not into temptation. To ask these things is to have confidence that we will receive them because they are in accordance with his will. He has told us to pray them and to ask for them. Those are the needs that God delights to meet. Our asking in prayer reminds us that we are dependent on God for everything. But Jesus does not end there. He goes on to tell us that we are to seek and knock. And for those who seek, they will find. And for those who knock, it will be opened. (laughs) He is now bringing home this parable for them. He is bringing the, the point home to the disciples regarding this parable. Jesus says that it was in the persistence of the man that compelled the friend to give him the bread. The word the ESV uses is impudence, meaning shame or uh, in in, in his, um, he was persistent in it. This is an earnest plea. It It is a pestering or a bothering that the man did. Jesus is communicating that there should be a seeking and a knocking to our prayers. He wants us to, in a sense, in a sense, to pester and to bother him. Now, now, I mean, we don't, we don't bother God, right? We can't bother him. We can't frustrate him. But we are to have a consistency in our prayers. There should be an urgency when we go before him. Do you, do you notice that there is this progression? There is this progression here that Jesus is telling us. There is an asking There is a seeking and there is a knocking. There is a a desperation and a persistence level implied with each action. Our kids are experts at this. They are experts at it. (laughs) They They will ask, seek, and knock within 15 seconds. And by 30 seconds, we will be crying, mercy, no more. Mercy, mercy, mercy. We'd be given in. They demonstrate it well for us. Our children know how to ask and seek and to knock. But I fear that most, if not all of our prayers start and end at the ask level. They start and they end at the ask level. We we ask because Jesus tells us to ask and because we know that it is something that we are supposed to do. I mean, it's part of our checklist. It's part of our checklist. Some difficult situation comes up. Some seemingly impossible situation comes. A decision arises. A need arises. And we pray to the Lord for help. And we pray for that need to be met. But we end there. Oh, but the promise is that those who seek will find. That those who knock, this is an ongoing, it is an ongoing action here that, 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 that Jesus tells them, a seeking, a knocking, an asking, and it will be opened. Jesus wants there to be an earnestness in our prayers. It is not, is this not demonstrated throughout all of scriptures? Do we not see this? Oh, how about Hannah? Hannah in first, in first Samuel. Hannah, Hannah was, was barren and she did not have a child. And she was, she was distraught over this. And so she prays to the Lord 
for a child. And, 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 and Eli, the priest, looks at Hannah while she is praying, and he almost assumes that she is drunk, that she, is, that she has had too much to drink. But then Hannah says this, No, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. There is an earnestness in her prayers there. How about Paul's prayer in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he says says that he pleaded with the Lord three times, three times to remove this thorn that is in my flesh. Oh, these are are examples of, of saints whose prayers were not only marked with an asking, but there was a seeking, there was a knocking to their prayers. Think about it. Do your prayers end at the ask level? Here's a question to ask. Are you praying about something today that you started or began praying about last year? Are you still praying about that same issue that you started praying about last month? Are you praying about that issue today? How about last week? Oh, brothers and sisters, our prayers should not just be marked with an asking, but there should be a seeking and a knocking as well, a pleading with the Lord. There is, um, we beg and we plead with the Lord, but I don't want you to get the wrong impression. Because before we start thinking that it is our begging and our pleading and our persistence that makes all the difference, we need to return back to the parable. To read this parable alone, if you were to just read the parable alone, it would be natural to think that it is the persistence that gets us what we want. That it is our persistence, that it is our begging that gets us what we want. That that's what gets our prayers heard. But that is not what Jesus is saying. God does want us to be persistent, but not for his benefit, but for our benefit, that we would realize more and more our dependence and our need of him. He does not need us to be persistent. He could answer the prayer the first time we ask if he wanted to. Jesus is not saying your heavenly father is like the friend in the parable. He's not saying that. It's not you're the one knocking and Jesus is the one inside. He's your friend. That's not what it's saying. The friend in the parable, Jesus, uh, Jesus is contrasting the heaven, our heavenly father to the friend in the parable. The friend in the parable did not answer out of goodness, but out of evil. He was annoyed with you and just wanted you to go away. He wanted you out of his hair. This is what we do with our children. We just want to, we just answer because we're tired of them asking. They exhaust our patience and we, we don't give them what they need because we love them. We give it to them because 
we are selfish and impatient and don't want to deal with them anymore. Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying that your heavenly father is far better than this friend in the parable. He is far better. He hears and answers his children out of his goodness. Out of his goodness. His patience is never exhausted. Therefore, you go to him over and over and over again. Ask, seek, knock. You are not going to exhaust him. That is the promise to us this morning. He will not grow weary. He will answer out because of his Goodness, because he loves his children. Oh, he is a good God. He reads, we read in Luke 11, 11 through 13, as he closes out the parable, he says this. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This here to me is the icing on the cake. This is the icing on the cake. And what I believe is the main, it's the main reason why we pray. I'm convinced that this final point um, that, that, that Jesus is trying to get across to his disciples, I think that this is the point of the parable. This is the point of the passage. I think when we get a hold of this, it will, it will not only explain why we pray, but it will compel us to pray. Why do we pray? Because our heavenly father is good and he gives good gifts. He is Good, the psalmist cries out in Psalm 118 and 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Psalm 84 and 11 tells us that his gifts are good as well, and that he does not withhold them from his children. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good things does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. As if it's not enough that God hears us. As if that's not enough. But he also answers us. But not just answers us. He answers with good gifts. This is what, this is what makes praying so nonsensible. Uh, that just doesn't do it. I was debating whether to put foolish in there, but I want to be nice. But I'm going to say it. it what, what makes praying, so, not praying, so foolish? We don't pray and don't ask. What we are saying is, my way is better. I know what is best for me. We think that if we pray, God is going to direct us down a path we don't want to go. Or that he will lead us down a path that will ultimately be bad for us. Oh, really? Jesus says, he says, he negates He says, what father among you, if your son asks for something good, like an egg or a fish, which will help them, will then give them something awful like a snake or a scorpion that will harm them. 
Of course the answer is no one does that. And he says, well, if, if you who are evil, if you who are evil, you who are tainted with sin, you who are often selfish and prone to be unloving, if you can give good gifts, how much more is your father able to give good gifts? Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How? How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things. This is unbelievable. God met our ultimate need by giving us Christ He gave us his righteousness and we are called his children and we get to call him father. See, see what kind of love first John three and one says of love. The father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are, we are his children. We are the children of a good and a loving father. I want you to to think about it for a quick second. I want you to think about it. What does it mean to have a good father who gives good gifts? To have a good father who gives good gifts should cause us to flee to him every chance we get. The truth is, you would do this if you really believe that you are a dependent being who is always in need. When you, when you realize that you are in need, what do you do? You, you ask for help. You look for help. And where better to go? Or where better to go than to your heavenly father who not only delights that you would come, begs that you would come, but also gives you good gifts when you come to him. And he doesn't give you what you, what you think is good. But he gives you what he knows is good. Oh, we are dependent beings. We always are in need. When you realize that, you you want help. You realize that you are not self-sufficient, that you are not independent. And so we cry out for help and we go to our good father who gives good gifts. And here, Jesus, he he says, he says, he gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. He gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. In in Matthew, when he he, he gives this parable or this um, phrase, he ends with, um, and the Heavenly Father will give you good gifts, give good gifts to those who ask. But Luke here says the Holy Spirit records for us the Holy Spirit. Oh, this is amazing. This is amazing. Do you know what a gift the Holy Spirit is? Do you know what a gift that is? For to receive the Holy Spirit is to receive a teacher. Look at John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. 
and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive a teacher. We also receive the guarantee for our inheritance. Ephesians 1.13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. To receive the Holy Spirit is to receive power. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But ultimately to receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit is to receive God himself. John 14.16-17 says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Oh, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit when we ask. Our heavenly father gives us not just what we want, but it gives us what we need. It gives us good gifts. Here's why we pray. Here's why we pray. We pray because we know and understand that we are needy people. We're, we, we need help. We are not self-sufficient We need help. We are needy children who have a loving father. Oh, who delights for us to come to him, to ask and to seek and to knock. And he is the good father who gives good, good gifts. Oh, run to him, pray to him. Oh, this should compel us to pray. Oh, for when we go to him, we know he will answer and he will answer with good gifts. They may not be the plans that we had in mind, but we know that his plans, his plans are always good. You know, we spent two weeks on prayer and we have not, we've not exhausted prayer. Um, There's still much more to learn, to understand and to know about prayer. But I pray, I pray that you have been compelled, that you have been challenged to pray more. And perhaps there are some of you, there are some of you here this morning and you are feeling convicted. You're feeling beat down because you said, I don't pray enough. You said, I don't pray as I should. I have been acting like I am self-sufficient. Oh, oh, I, I pray, go to him. Run to him, flee to him. He is a good father who gives good gifts. Oh, and I leave you, and I leave you with two scriptures, two scriptures that are, that are wonderful, that are wonderful truths. When you go and you say, I don't know what to pray, 
I don't know what to pray. Matthew 6, 8 says, for your father's father knows what you need even before you ask him. He knows what you need even before you ask him. Oh, you can go with confidence knowing that you are not bringing anything that he does not know. Oh, and then you are saying, how do I do this? Ask for the Holy Spirit. Get down on your knees and ask for the Holy Spirit. God has promised to give him to you. And you can take confidence in that because Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. The Spirit, the Spirit that you ask for, himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what it is. The mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Oh, pray, ask, seek, and knock. Oh, he's a good father. He's a good father who gives good gifts. And we are needy children. Oh, and he desires us to come. Go to him. Go to him. Pray to him. Let's pray to him now. Father, none of us pray as we, as we ought. So we ask you to forgive us. Forgive us this day, O oh Lord. We have been acting independent. Oh, Lord, but if we were honest, we are all needy. We need your help, Lord. And so we ask for it. Oh, Father, we don't just ask, but we plead with you. We beg of you, oh, Lord, to help us. Oh, Father, we pray for the Holy Spirit, Father. Because we know Oh, he is a great gift. So we pray for him, Lord. Help us now. Help us, oh Lord. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.